Well, good morning, Brown Corners. So glad that you chose to be with us this morning. If you are ready and willing, we'll ask you to stand with us as we read together our call to worship. This morning, it is found in Psalms 96, 1 through 3. So all together, ready? Sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wondrous works among all peoples. Amen. That's what we come to do today is proclaim the name of our living Lord. Amen.
The God I know knows only how to triumph. Oh, my God will never fail. Yes, Lord. Yes, my God will never fail. So I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory.
you take, God. Cause you take what the enemy meant for evil. And you turn it for good. You turn it for good. Oh, you take, God. You take what the enemy meant for evil. And you turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take on, yeah. You take what the enemy meant for evil. And you turn it for good. You turn it for good. Turn it for good. How you turn it for good? Oh, I'm gonna see a victory. See you. 
pray together. Father, this, this morning we come before you and I just want to start off by asking your forgiveness for not always believing that you're the great I am. For not all, always believing that you're mighty to save, that you're mighty to change hard hearts, that you're mighty to intervene and do the miraculous heal the brokenhearted, to save the crushed in spirit, to raise the dead, to give life to the lifeless. Lord God, this morning we come before you. You, you truly are the Almighty One. May we believe that. You change lives. May we believe that. come before you this morning and so often this is just a routine and it can be a, a ritual, a rut and I pray God that we're here this morning with hearts that mean what's coming out of our mouths and I pray that we're here this morning anticipating to hear from you Whatever we've brought in here this morning, Lord, I ask God that you would, you would restore us and renew us and revive our hearts. Lord, this morning for those who may be here that have no knowledge of Jesus Christ as their Savior, we're praying believingly that you can awake those who are spiritually dead to come alive to Jesus Christ. For those of us who came in here with burdens of, and cares and sins that have laden them down, Lord, we believe that you are here to set them free. We ask, Holy Spirit, that your, your mighty power would be at work in each and every heart. Open our eyes and awaken our souls that we might hear from you, oh God. We thank you that you are the great I am. The one who revealed himself by that name in that bush, the burning bush to Moses so many years ago is the one we long to meet here this morning in an intimate and a powerful way. We thank you that you're still that God. We can know you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated.
We sure are glad you're here. We want to extend a special welcome to you. And if you're visiting for the first time, we, we want to extend a special welcome and let you know that um, we just appreciate you worshiping with us. The, uh, if you have an attendance binder in your pew, um, if you would, just kind of sign that and pass it down. And if you're visiting, make sure you check a, uh, that box there. We'd love to stay in touch with you and find out how we could serve you in some way and, and bless you and, and get to know you a little bit better. Um, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 this week, and so if you want to find your place there, and I just had one more thing I want to mention to you before we get into the scriptures, and that is next week is our first Sunday on our summer schedule, and so I want to remind you that 9 a.m. is our discipleship community time. Uh, we have classes for kids at 9 a.m. The adults, actually, for this first Sunday of the new schedule, we're, we're going to be in the fellowship hall. We're going to have a time of uh, looking at uh, what some of the new classes are. You can meet some of the teachers, some of the classes for the summer, as well as if, if you're relatively new here in the, in the last, say, year or so or six months, uh, we're going to have like a little corner where we would love to just have you just be able to meet you. I know a lot of times on Sundays it's, it's in and out, and, and we, we haven't always had a chance to have conversations with you, so we're going to have some of our pastors over there and some of our ministry leaders. We'd love to get to know you just a little bit better. Um, and then 10 a.m. is our worship service, and it will be that way, 9 o'clock discipleship communities, 10 a.m. worship service on through the, the summer. So we just want to make mention of that. We've had it in the bulletin now for a little while, and we've been kind of trying to put it out there, and we'll, we'll try to mention it a couple times this week just by way of reminder, but um, keep that in mind. 9 a.m. discipleship communities next week, and then 10 a.m. worship service. The title of today's message is Ecclesiology, the Community of God, and if you've been with us these um, past uh, seven or eight uh, Sundays, we've been talking about various aspects of theology and how that impacts our mission and how it should impact our mission. Theology is not something that stands alone. It's not just for academia, not just to uh, throw around big words and make us sound smarter. But theology, if done rightly, according to Scripture, it should not only impact our hearts, but it should impact and, and stir our hearts for mission, to, to go out and make disciples. In ecclesiology is that aspect of theology that is concerned with the church. Uh, ecclesia is the Greek word for church, and so ecclesiology is the word that theologians have come up for the study of the church. And we're not going to, again, as, we, as I say each week, we're not going to say everything that we could say about uh, what the New Testament has to say regarding the church. But uh, th this word, first, uh, the original use of the word in the Greek was uh, simply an assembly, any kind of a gathering, any kind of crowd that got together. In fact, it's used a few times in uh, Acts as an angry mob, uh, which could sometimes describe some churches on some Sundays. But uh, in, the, in the New Testament, the first time we actually see the word was from, uh, we hear it from the, the mouth of Jesus. You may remember in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, where Jesus said, as speaking to Peter, he says, I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, the ecclesia, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And that's exactly what Jesus has done. He has built his church. If, if I, I love history, and I, and I am, I'm not, certainly I'm not a church history expert, but every time I read about church history, I am just astounded. There is no, no logical reason that we or this should be here today. This was a small group of ragtag individuals that were hunted down and persecuted from, very, from day one. Like, do you know how many, how many probably hundreds 
of little sects or, or cults or various groups that have arisen throughout the centuries that were squashed by authorities or fizzled out because of lack of interest. I mean, you can even think of in the last, in the last 30 years here in the U.S., how many cults or groups that hit the news and they're doing something that, that kind of crazy or goofy and they have a little gathering and, and, then, it, and then it fades away. By all, by, like statistically, from human reasoning, the church should not be here today. The church should not be what it is today around the world. Now, today we're going we're gonna to talk about the church universal. If, if you know the New Testament, you know that the, the New Testament speaks of the church in two primary ways, as the universal church and the local church. And just by way of clarification, like we see the universal church in a place like um, uh, Ephesians 5.25. If you're there in Ephesians, you can look, look over a page or two at verse 5.25 um, where he says, uh, um, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Th- that's the universal church. The, the, entire, the entire number of God's gathered people around the world and throughout the centuries. Th- that is the church, the, what theologians call the universal church. Most of the time when you see the word church in the New Testament, it's referring to a local church. Brown Corners United Brethren Church is a local church. It's a local gathering of believers. Um, in places like uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 19, you don't have to turn there, but he says that the churches of Asia send you greetings, Aquila and Priscilla send you greetings warmly in the Lord along with the church that meets in their home. There was a local group of believers that met in Priscilla and Aquila's house, that was a local church. Most of the time when you see the word church in the New Testament, it's talking about one of those churches, a local individual body gathered in a specific location. Today we're talking about the universal church. The church has always, the the Christian faith has always affirmed the place of the church in God's redemptive program. The Apostles' Creed One of the earliest creeds of the church says, I believe in the communion of saints. And while we have, while the the, the church has always been recognized as essential and important, it's not always lived out that way. You see, we can say something is really, really important to us. Like I could could say that uh, uh, saving for retirement is really, really important to me, but if if I don't don't do it, it, is it really? Is it actually important? And, and so sometimes we proclaim that, yes, the church is a, a cornerstone of Christian theology, but it's not necessarily always that way. John Stott has said this. He said, one of our chief evangelical blind spots has been to overlook the central importance of the church. We tend to proclaim individual salvation without moving on to the saved community. We emphasize that Christ died, as in uh, Titus chapter 2, to redeem us from all iniquity rather than, the other half of the verse, to purify himself as a people for his own. We think of ourselves more as Christians than as churchmen. We need to remember that the church is God's first and foremost. It's his idea. It's his program. The church is not a what, but it's a who. It's not a building, but a people. It's not simply another nonprofit or a social gathering. It's the fellowship of God's people called by God to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And though we read this passage last week, I want to just hone in on these verses 
again this week in a, in a specific way to talk about a theology of the community of God. So if you've, if you've uh, found your place in Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to read, uh, we'll begin at verse 11 and read through the end of the chapter in verse 22. Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 22. He writes, So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commandments and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He, proclaimed, he came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to you, or who you, you who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. I have a brief outline to look at this morning. I have to admit that I didn't come up with this outline. This comes from the Nicene Creed. Um, the, the outline this morning is going to be based off a statement from that ancient creed that was born out of the Council of Nicaea hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And it's the statement that says, I believe in one holy Catholic an apostolic church. This is sort of an exposition of that phrase, and it's based right here in Ephesians chapter 2. The first thing we see is that the church is one. We believe in the church's oneness. If you look at verse 16, he said, he, Jesus, uh, or God did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. God has brought Jews and Gentiles God has brought us from every walk of life into one body. These are not just a, a church. The, the church is not a, a, a gathering of a bunch of local independent churches. The church is, is one. It's the body of Christ. It's not divided. It's not separated. It belongs to him. If you flip over to chapter 4 there in Ephesians, Paul illustrates this, and, it, and actually it's because of the church's oneness that Paul gives this exhortation in chapter 4. He says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you've received. Look at verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. We get the point, Paul. There's this number one, this idea of oneness, unity. And, and he says, because of the way that God has set up the church as one, that should impact how we relate to one another. 
it should directly result in us pursuing unity in this loving, patient, bearing with one anotherness. It should be evident among, evident among God's people. You see, theology matters. When we understand that the church is one, we recognize that it, it speaks to how we're to live and interact among each other. It's not just an abstract idea, but it's a calling for how God's people are to live. Secondly, we believe in the church's holiness. One holy church. If you look at, down at verse 21, back in Ephesians 2, he says, In Him, in Christ, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now, Paul didn't pay attention in, in, uh, in English, in freshman English class. He's mixing his metaphors. He's talking about a body. He's talking about a temple. He's talking about a nation. He's kind of jumping all over the place in his pictures here in this passage. But all of them revolve around this idea of oneness. And here now he says that this temple, that of, which is one, should also be a holy temple. It should be a holy temple. We all in our, in our, in our lives recognize that there are certain places that are, that are just innately, you, you just feel sacred. You just feel like they're set apart. I remember having a chance um, when I was overseas one time to walk into this, this, this old Catholic church. In fact, Elisa and I were just down uh, in Florida a few weeks ago for some meetings. And, um, and uh, we, were, we, had, we had some time before we were going to go get dinner. And we were walking by a Catholic church there that had a, uh, had a concert. A, a free, it, they said free concert. They're handing out flyers. And they're like, it starts in like 15 minutes. And we're like, okay, let's let's go and check it out for a little while. We had time, and so we went and and, and sat down, and and uh, there was just this immediate sense that we were supposed to be whispering. Nobody told us to. We just immediately felt like we needed to just be quiet and whisper. There was this, there was a sort of a, a sacredness that we felt in that moment. And and as the 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 youth choir began to sing, it was beautiful. They began to just sing straight up scripture out of the Gospel of John. It was incredible about the Word becoming flesh, and it was just it was just a beautiful moment of worship. Uh, even though it was in a in a different tradition and a different denomination that I would have some theological issues with, we we just walked in there in that moment. We we said, "Wow, there's there's, there's we just felt like there's there's a sense of sacredness that that we just initially felt." And and you know the Bible says that the the church as a whole is a is a holy temple in the Lord. You see, there's 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 two things that's being that are being said here. Um, there's, there's a recognition, first of all, that holiness is a, is a God-given status. In fact, again, you don't have to turn there, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, both of these, there's, there's two ideas of holiness being brought out here. Uh, as Paul writes that letter, he says, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. There's a God-given status to God's people here, the church. And he says, you're called out ones, you're, you're set apart. And this is a beautiful declaration because we as individuals, we don't necessarily feel like that. In fact, you may have walked in here this morning feeling very much less than holy. The Bible says that in God's eyes, the church is holy 
And, and as his people, there is a sense in which you are sanctified. It's the Greek word for holy. It's, it's set apart. There is a, declar- a declarative holiness that God says. But also in that same verse in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, so that's the God-given status. But here's the other side. And called to be his holy people. We are declared holy and called to be holy. There are two sides of the same coin, of the holiness of the church. One is, God says, in my eyes, you've been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are holy in my sight. You are acceptable. I declare you as righteous based upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But then there's also a practical holiness that we're called to. We all know that as Christians, even though we have been declared holy in God's sight, we sometimes do some unholy things, don't we? Sometimes the way that we interact with each other, sometimes the things we think about, the things we use our time or money on, are not holy before God. And so, as First Peter reminds us, the one who is holy has called us to be holy in our behavior and in our life. And the most practical implication of this holiness of the church is that we're supposed to be different. I don't know, I don't know what your personality is, but if you know, th- there are kind of there are kind of uh, when you're going through middle school, there are kind of two two personality types. There's the personality type that wants to be fit, that wants to fit in, that wants to be accepted. And, and, and that's probably most of us. And then there's that other personality type that's probably a minority that's like, I don't care what anybody thinks of me. I'm going to be my own person. I'm going to be me. And that's great. And hopefully as we get older, we, we kind of work that out a little bit that we don't have to worry about what people think about us all the time. Well, the Bible says that the church should be that kind of personality type that's willing to be different. Russell, Russell Moore wrote in one of his books, that we need to keep Christianity weird <laughs> in the sense that if, if nobody sees any difference between us and the world around us, there's a huge, huge problem. We've abandoned this aspect of the church, the church's holiness. We're called to be distinct and separate. It doesn't mean do crazy stuff to be weird, but to obey and follow the Word of God, what Jesus has called us to do. And when we do that, we, we will be weird. How many of you have, have, have watched the show The Chosen? Had a chance to see that or see a few episodes of that? One of the cool things is right in the, I mean, I, I, my family and I love the program, but the, even the introduction is, is cool. It has a bunch of, a, a picture of a bunch of animated fish swimming, and there's a couple of them that are a different color, and they're swimming against the rest of the school of fish. And the picture is that is you came to Christ, and, and, and slowly the number adds uh, the number of fish that are swimming against the current, against the, the stream of things. The picture was that those who were following Jesus were going against the stream of society. And that's what the New Testament tells us. We're, we're, the New Testament more than once calls us strangers and foreigners. And let me submit to you that if you've never felt like a stranger and a foreigner in this land, perhaps, perhaps, you're not clearly and closely following the commands of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're called to be different. We're called to be holy. We're called to be set apart. Thirdly, 
the Nicene Creed, and I believe this text affirms the church's Catholicity. It affirms the church's Catholicity. I know that term frightens us as Protestants a little bit. But Catholicity, in addition to being difficult to say, simply means universality. The church is universal. It means everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ is a part. All of us. It's, it's, it's not us versus them. So often our churches get like this. It's, it's competitive. It's we do it right and they do it wrong. And I, I, I'll confess, I've been guilty of that. The pride seeps in and you look at how other, other churches or other pastors do ministry and you think, Shh, they don't know what they're doing. And, and um, man, it can turn into a competition game and oh, it can get ugly. But, but we're, we're, we need to remember that one day, if, if you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, it's, I mean, you read the passage in Revelation. People from every tribe and tongue and nation, I get goosebumps thinking about it. We're all going to be before the Lamb, declaring His great worth. And we're not going to be checking denominational ID cards. We're not going to be looking to see what, what team you played on. It's about Jesus and what you've done with Jesus. There's a joke that goes around. It's a well-worn joke. Because uh, pastors kind of beat their jokes into the ground. I'll, I'll admit that. Uh, and it, when we go to United Brethren National Conferences and gatherings, there's always, we, I, inevitably, somebody will say it. Well, you know, once we get to heaven, we're all going to be united brethren. All united. We're all one in Christ. Brethren and sistren in Christ. <laughs> the reality is, though, that, that uh, it, it's, it's all united under Jesus Christ. There's nobody that is excluded my brothers and sisters, we need to be mindful of that. When we see somebody who attends a different church, somebody who has some different theology than us, who doesn't exactly worship the same way we worship, it comes back to, to Jesus Christ. And yes, I, I do believe, let me just say, like, okay, when you read um, Jude, 2 Peter, 2 Timothy, there are warnings against churches and, and false prophets that will apostatize, that will separate from the faith. We do need to be on guard of that. We're not saying here that every single church and every single gathering that, that alludes to the name of Jesus, that we should just be okay with everything that they teach and preach and practice. No, that's not true. It, it comes back to, like, what are you doing with the gospel? What are you doing with the clear things that are taught in Scripture? There, there are heretical, quote-unquote, churches. There, there are those whom we should... We should listen to what the Apostle Paul says and Peter and Jesus is like, have nothing to do with them. Okay, there are those scenarios. But it's, it's probably not as often as what sometimes we practice. <laughs> we need to be willing to look carefully and say, okay, is this disagreement, is this worthy of, I mean, is this serious enough that we need to say, no, we need to depart from this group? So often it's not. So often it's not. Verse 18, before we go on to the, the last one, I just have to point out, is such a beautiful Trinitarian 
proclamation of our universality in Christ. Through Jesus, through Jesus, we both, and he was speaking of Jews and Gentiles, we can include every, every people group, everybody. Through Jesus, we have access in one spirit to the Father. Remember that next time when we're tempted to divide with somebody, to part ways, to, to drive a wedge into this unity that God calls us to. Let's remember that you and that person, me and that person, we are both calling through Jesus in one spirit to the Father. Be cautious and careful about how we treat our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, the church's Catholicity or, or universality. And then finally, we see the church's apostolicity. One holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. What do we mean by apostolic? The, the Protestant church would define apostolicity in terms of the message that was handed down. One writer says, the church's focus on preaching and hearing and believing and obeying the teachings of the apostles written down in the New Testament. So you see, for example, here in this passage in Ephesians chapter 2, he said that, that all of these things here were built on the foundation, verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. We are passing along our goal each Sunday here. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to invent anything new. Number one, I'm not that creative. And number two, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't dare improve on what God has given us, because it can't be. I don't dare attempt that. And please call me out if, if I seem to be doing that. I, uh, we're called here to build on what, what has been handed to us and to transmit that. Which is, there's a ton of freedom in that. So often we get, we, church, in church we try to get fancy. We try to, we've talked about this before, it's kind of a little soapbox of mine, but all of the marketing, all the schemes, all the ways in which you can, you know, grow your church, build your church, here's this fresh new way to do this. And it's like, it's, it's pretty simple at the end of the day. It's not easy, but it's pretty simple. We just keep passing on what we've received. We, we let God work. We pray. We teach the Word of God. We love people. It, there's, it's really, there's, it's not this great formula. We, we, we just faithfully be obedient to the New Testament together. In Jude 3, he writes, Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. That's our calling, to contend for the saint, contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. And here's the thing. As an apostolic church, we all should be committed to proclaiming and passing along what was passed down to us. We should hand it off, pay it forward, however you want to phrase that. That's discipleship. That's us 
passing the torch of the word of God, the church, in this world and in this day. So as we think about theology on mission, how does better understanding ecclesiology or doctrine of the church propel us on mission? Well, here's the, here's the great thing about ecclesiology is that mission is literally the point of the church. That's why God has brought us together. Mission is literally the reason why we're here. We have been brought together so that we will make disciples. It's, this is not a, 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 a huge strain to make this connection. This, this is why God left a remnant, so that, so that we would let others know. I wish I had put this on the screen. I didn't add this to my notes until later. But if you want to jot down 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, that's a great verse that speaks to this. Peter's speaking to the church, and he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that, purpose phrase, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Our job is to proclaim the glory and the good news of the one who has called us from a place of darkness and into light the job of this church is to be a difference. I'm not just talking about brown corners. I'm talking about the church is to be a light and be a difference. I want to finish with a, a story from Tony Campolo. He's a sociologist and an evangelist, a writer and a speaker. He tells a story about a time years ago when he flew out to Honolulu from the East Coast for a speaking engagement because of the crazy time change that you experience. He found himself wide awake at 3 a.m. in his hotel room and starving. So he left the hotel in search of a 24-hour diner looking for some food. He writes this. He said, up a side street, I found a little place that was still open. I went in and took a seat on one of the stools at the counter and waited to be served. This was one of those sleazy places that deserved the name Greasy Spoon. He said, I didn't even touch the menu. I was afraid if I opened the thing, something gruesome would crawl out. But it was the only place I could find. A large man behind the counter came over and asked me, What do you want? I said, I wanted a cup of coffee and a donut. He poured a cup of coffee and wiped his grimy hand on his smudged apron, and then he grabbed a donut off the shelf behind him. <laughs> he says, I'm a realist. I know that in the back room of that restaurant, donuts are probably dropped on the floor and kicked around, but when everything's out in front where I could see it, I really would have appreciated if he'd used a pair of tongs and placed that donut on some wax paper. He says, as I sat there munching on my donut and sipping my coffee at 3.30 in the morning, the door of the diner suddenly swung open, and to my discomfort, in marched eight or nine provocative and boisterous prostitutes. It was a small place, and they sat on either side of me. Their talk was loud and crude. I felt completely out of place and was just about to make my getaway when I overheard the woman beside me say, Tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. Her friend responded in a nasty tone. So what do you want from me, a birthday party? What do you want? You want me to get a cake and sing happy birthday? Come on, the woman said the woman sitting next to me. 
Why do you have to be so mean? I, I was just telling you, that's all. Why do you have to put me down? I, I was just telling you it was my birthday. I don't want anything from you. I mean, why should you give me a birthday party? I, I've never even had a birthday party, not in my whole life. Why should I have one now? Tony writes, when I heard that, I made a decision. I sat and waited until the women had left. I called over the fat guy from behind the counter, and I asked him, hey, do they come in here every night? Yeah, he answered. The one right next to me, does she come in here every night? Yeah, he said, that's Agnes. Yeah, she comes in here every night. What do you want to know? He said, well, I heard her say that tomorrow's her birthday. What do you say you and I do something about that? What do you think about us throwing a birthday party for her right here tomorrow night? A huge smile, smile slowly crossed his chubby cheeks, and he answered with measured delight, That's great. I like it. That's a great idea. Calling to his wife, who did the cooking in the back room, he shouted, Hey, come out here. This guy's got a great idea. Tomorrow's Agnes's birthday, and this guy wants, to go in with, wants us to go in with him and throw a party for her right here tomorrow night. His wife came out of the back room, all bright and smiley. She said, that's wonderful. You know, Agnes is one of those people who's really nice and kind, and nobody does anything nice and kind for her. Look, I told him, it's okay with you. I'll get back here tomorrow morning about 2.30 and decorate the place. I'll even get a birthday cake. No way, said Harry. That was his name. The birthday cake's my thing. I'll make the cake. Well, 2.30 the next morning, I was back at the diner. I had picked up some crepe paper decorations at the store and made a sign out of big pieces of cardboard that read, Happy Birthday, Agnes. I decorated the diner from one end to the other. I had that diner looking pretty good. The woman who did the cooking must have gotten the word out on the street because by about 3.15, every prostitute in Honolulu was in that place. It was wall-to-wall prostitutes and me. <laughs> At 3.30 on the dot, the door of the diner swung open, and in came Agnes and her friend. I had everybody ready. After all, I was the MC of the fair. And when they all came in, we screamed, Happy Birthday. Never had I seen anyone so flabbergasted, so stunned, so shaken. Her mouth fell open. Her legs seemed to buckle a bit. Her friend grabbed her arm to steady her. As she was led to sit on one of the stools along the counter, we all sang happy birthday to her. As we came to the end of our singing with happy birthday, happy birthday, dear Agnes, happy birthday to you, her eyes moistened. Then when the birthday cake with all its candles on it was carried out, she lost it and just openly cried. Harry gruffly mumbled, blow out the candles, Agnes, come on, blow out the candles. If you don't blow out the candles, I'm going to have to blow out the candles. After an endless few seconds, he did. Then he handed her a knife and told her, cut the cake, Agnes. Yo, Agnes, we all want some cake. Agnes looked down at the cake, and without taking her eyes off it, she slowly and softly said, look, Harry, is it all right with you if I, I mean, is it okay if I kind of, well, when I ask you, is it, is it okay if I keep the cake a little while? I mean, is it all right if we don't eat it right away? Harry shrugged and answered, well, sure, it's okay. If you want to keep the cake, keep the cake. Take it home if you want to. Can I? She asked. Then looking at me, she said, I live just down the street a couple of doors. I, I want to take the cake home to my, take, take the cake home and show my mom. Is that okay? I'll be right back, honest. She got off the stool and picked up the cake and carrying it like it was the holy grail, she 
walked slowly toward the door. As we all just stood there motionless, she left. When the door closed, there was a stunned silence in the place. Not knowing what else to do, I broke the silence by saying, Hey, what do you say we pray? Looking back on it now, it seems more than strange for a sociologist to be leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes in a diner in Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning. But then it just felt like the right thing to do. I prayed for Agnes. I prayed for her salvation. I prayed that her life would be changed and that God would be good to her. When I finished, Harry leaned over the counter and said with a trace of hostility in his voice, he said, hey, you said you were a sociologist. You never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? Tony Campolo said that it was one of those moments where just the right words came to him. And without thinking, he blurted out, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for whores at 3.30 in the morning. Harry waited a moment and almost sneered as he answered, No, you don't. There's no church like that. If there was, I'd join it. I'd join a church like that. Wouldn't we all? Campolo writes, wouldn't we all like to join a church that throws birthday parties for whores at 3.30 in the morning? My brothers and sisters, that's the kind of church that God came to create. God came to create a church that is calling men and women and children from all over the world, no matter where you've been and what you've done, no matter what color of skin, what your story is, He's calling us in Christ to become a part of what He's doing. My brothers and sisters, that's, that's the church, and that's the mission of the church. To call one another to Christ. To go far and wide, not just where it's safe, not just where it's comfortable, not just where we're at ease. To go far and wide and proclaim this great news of a God who will cross the great divide to go and hunt down even one lost sheep. That's the mission of the church. That's the point of the church. May we be the kind of people who are on mission and living the calling that he's given to us, his body. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you have left here in this earth, what you have created and what you have ordained as, as, your, as your plan for accomplishing the, the Great Commission. We thank you for the church. God, I pray that, that each of us here would be the church. We would be what we've called to be, we've been called to be. God, stir our hearts to pursue each of these things that we've talked about, that, that oneness, that holiness, that, that heart of unity, of universalism, that, and, and that, that the kind of church that is apostolic, that, that takes the message that has been handed to us and then proclaims it to others. We be the kind of church that goes to the highways and byways 
to compel others to come in. Father, we ask that you would speak to each of us right now. Show us what our calling is. Show us, maybe even put specific names and individuals in our minds at this moment. Other Agneses with whom you want us to do life, to come alongside and to walk alongside them. God, may, may we be the church. Now the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, the keeper of Israel and your keeper, may he keep your going out and your coming in from now on and for all time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We'd love prayer. If you, if you want to come up and pray either on your own or would like someone to pray with you, we want to invite you to do so. May God.